is our last class. Uh, at, well, last full class, and then on the 19th is the one and only oral final. We didn't get a chance to do it at, at Christmas time because it was icy and snowy and cold. So that means that you've been saving your best dishes for this one. And we'll, we'll figure out with the elders here. We may not do it in the gym, but we're going to figure out exactly where we want to. It could be icy and cold and snowy. <laughs> it could be. It could be icy and cold, yeah. Isn't that true? Uh, so anyway, be thinking about what kind of thing. We might put it in the gym and invite the elders to join us and let them help us clean up. All right. Well, that said, uh, also, this, this, uh, this weekend is Easter. Uh, tomorrow is actually Passover. And it's a, it's a uh, lunar eclipse tomorrow night on the Passover. Okay, that said, I've, I've shown this before, but I wanted to go ahead and show it again just because I, I, I love the sentiment behind this and it's just in time for Easter. Didn't get all of them? Oh, wrong lines. Yeah. That won't work that until we do those two. That's more better, right? Okay. Don't you love that sentiment? Yes. 
Okay. Actually, I'll just leave this down. Um, okay, so to walk into today's lesson, I thought, uh, let's do the, uh, we'll do the movie and then the book. Is that fair? All right.
not he that's handbag. This is he. No, he is like him. I am he. How are thine eyes opened? A man is called Jesus. Made clay and anointed my eyes. And said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Where is he? I know not. How did you receive your sight? He put clay upon my eyes, and I washed to see. This man is not a god, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? What seest thou of him? But he hath opened thine eyes. He is a prophet. Go bring his parents.
measure it. All right. One of these great moments in the Savior's ministry. So let's let's go ahead and turn to John nine. Because there is a lot here. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which is blind from his birth. Now, his disciples asked him, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Why would they think that? It was Jewish tradition. Pop back, uh, and you heard it on there. Go down for just a second to verse uh, 34, all the way down. And at the end of the interrogation, we're going to get this from members of the Sanhedrin. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and and dost thou teach us? So here's this man. And I think it's one of those common things that we struggle with even today. And that is, here's a man who's going through everything that he's going through in terms of living a life of blindness. From his birth on. On top of that, what additional burden does he carry? Somebody sinned. I'm in this position because either I sinned, which is a side note, in Jewish tradition, how was it that the sin might be on him? They said, or his parents. How would it maybe be on him? I believe the sins of the fathers would Yeah, but then it would be the father's sins. How would it be his sin? Yes. There was some sense, some belief in a pre-mortal life. We don't have a lot about it, but enough to say that if, if he is the way he is because of some... Something before this life, would put, which would put it on him, or it would be the sins of the fathers, and they landed on him that way. Either way, he's sitting there without sight, and he believes he's a sinner. Well, that's kind of a double whammy. It's a good thing that we never do that in our lives these days, right? Why are we so quick sometimes to look at the adversity that we're in? And automatically jump to the point of saying, and I'm here because of some sin that I've created. Why do we want to do that? Because we see people stand up and bear testimony how blessed they are of God, that they have all of these good things. So they're blessed. And so if I don't have them, I must feel like... So if I don't have what somebody else's hand has, then it must be due to... Something I've done. Something I've done. My sin. Okay? Why else do we do that, do you think? Well, it's taught about in general conference and everywhere to look inward and to make sure that, you know, if we have sin... Right. That we need to be repenting and constantly looking at ourselves. There are consequences to sin. Right. And maybe maybe my adversity is one of the consequences of that sin. Okay, yeah. Trey? I just think we don't have enough faith. Because if I had more faith, then what? Then this adversity would be, this training me to have faith would be gone. Yes. So let me ask you again. Why would we be tempted to blame ourselves 
for the adversity? What's the advantage? Does that make sense? If I have, if, if, again, if I have one possibility, I'm going to hurt, and there's nothing I can do about it, and the other possibility is I'm hurting, but there might be something I can do about it, that's more preferable. Psychologically, we want to do that. We have a tendency to want to say, if it was me that's causing my adversity, if I can figure out what it is and repent, I will be, I can make this go away. It's control. Okay, that makes sense. Now, what is the what? Uh, why is this so dangerous, though? Yeah. Why would yeah? Why would it take it off the atonement? That's exactly right. It's a recognition by doing that that says, again, we talked about the other day, that uh, we've always said, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, that's hogwash. He does it all the time. Of course he does. Because he expects us to rely on him. But we get to these sinful moments. So so, so let me ask you this. Here, if you, if you believe that your adversity and trial that you're going through is some sin of your parents or of you, how does that affect your prayers to that person for whom the atonement flows? How would that, what would you pray for? If you think someone else sinned, it's because of someone else? If, no, if you believe I have adversity and it's my fault due to my sins, what are we praying for? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness from our, sins. from our sins that don't exist on this one. How does that affect our prayer to Him? We're, well, we're thinking more about what we got to do rather than relying on the Savior's atonement. Rather than listen to Him who's going to give us guidance and counsel, we're so busy focused on going through our laundry list of everything that we've done that got us to this place. My cancer is because of some, what I did here. And if I will just understand what that is, I can make it go away, but I'm going to not be listening for the lessons that he has. Yeah. Well, we wouldn't be thinking of our blessings counting our No, we're certainly not going to. We have, we were concentrating on what we don't Absolutely. And, then, and here's the other part, and it's, it's the thing that I worry about all the time, and that is... If I believe that my sins are about, have caused my trial, then do I dare ask Him? Do I have a right to ask Him? Why would He want to bless me if I'm a sinner already and He's already blessed me with trials and adversity? I'm not going to even, sometimes people don't even dare ask. I'm sheepish to go before the Lord because I know I'm a sinner. They do, don't they? I got an owie. <laughs> can, you, can you kiss my owie? 
Because I know that I'm hurting, and if I come to you, you will make it better, because that's what you do. That's your job. You're a mom. You're supposed to do that. What, what, how different would life be if we go to the Savior and we go, I'm an owie. <laughs> Can you kiss it and make it better? And he says, yes, come. Yeah, sorry. Because we want to, and, and the funny thing is, I promise you guys, we can go through this and intellectually, you can do the same thing that I'm doing, teach a primary class, Sunday school class, priesthood lesson, whatever, and teach these concepts and say, you know what, our adversity is not always about us, these things come as a part of our mortal existence, and it's going to happen, but, what, and the, but the first time trial hits, our brain so quickly wants to go to what we did, and we do it so fast. Okay. Now let's go back to this. Let's go back to this case right here. And this is. And again, if you can see these people as real people, it's easier to put yourself in their place. Picture yourself as this man, and he's sitting there blind. He's been blind, and every day he goes to the pool, and he hears people going back and forth. He's never seen his parents. He's never seen sunlight. And here is this man standing before him, and listen to the conversation. Master, who sinned here? This man or his parents? Think he's interested in this discussion? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, our little drama, our little thing, when he's got so many, he's got wars and all kinds of stuff out here. Why would he be interested in, in my little trauma and our little job thing? There's one of those, I'm, I'm just kind of insignificant. I had a client I was working with this week and she said, I feel like I'm always a secondary character and everybody else is always the lead. Okay, so he, this man is listening. I think he's very interested. Who sinned? And, and to hear Jesus say, neither has this man sinned nor his parents. Now do you think he's got the man's attention? Because he's been taught all along this is about either his sins or his parents' sins. I think he, now he's, he's got his full attention. This may have been the first time in his life that somebody is going to come to him and say, this is not about your sin. It explains why what he does next, by the way. Jesus said, neither is this man's sin nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made, made manifest as it's about to be, and I must work the works of him that sent me while I'm still here, is what the JST says. I've got to do these works while I'm still among you. Well, I still have this opportunity. I just think it's interesting how much compassion the Savior has on this one single man. Yes. Not only he probably knew the burden this man was carrying for 40 years and knew, I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of healings are done on the person's faith, but 
it didn't have anything to do with his faith he was at all. Just, this man was just sitting there though the faith was certainly there as, as witnessed by what he will well, he, had to go he, to he will water. follow through right yeah. I see a second thing here like we talk about how he feels about his sin but we as observers we see that same person and we judge him we could negatively because we think well he's in sin so let's stay away from him yeah, but we have this tendency when we see somebody begging for money and go, well, you put yourself here. Yeah. You know? Go, go get signed up for Medicare and go find a place to live. What are you doing begging out here? You know, we, we're really fast to, to do that. Okay, great point. And the Savior says, I'm, I'm not going to be here very long. Let me explain. But one of the reasons why this man's not going to do anything, this is about sin. Why would he even try and do anything else? As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I'm here to, to cast a light on things. Now, he's going to do something very interesting. And this is one of those moments where you ask, why, does, why did he choose to do what he did? And there's some beautiful explanations here, and there are about three or four or five of them. And they all, they all come together, and they are all true. When he had spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. Yuck! And he appointed the eye, anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Why would he do this? Couldn't he have just gone, be healed? He had the ability. Why? You've got to do your share. One, he's going to have to do his share, and he's going to do it in a second, right? He's going to have to get up and move. We'll talk about that. One. That becomes critical. Why play spittle? Well, you're entitled to that opinion. You're welcome. Specifically on what he needed. Uh, exactly. Okay. So why play spittle in this case? You're asking the right question. Yeah. Well, it was to There's number one. What she said? It's illegal. Now, by the way, spittle in, in these times was seen as having medicinal purposes. Okay, and so so that would be a good thing. And making so making play would sort of make sense, but the problem here was what? This was the Sabbath day. This is work. This is a specifically publicly doing something that would that is pushing and the and prodding the, the rabbinic control over Sabbath day activities. So this is a poke in the eye of the Sanhedrin, literally. Play in the eye of the Sanhedrin. Yeah. Is this somehow symbolic of our bodies being a temple of play? Yes. Yeah, in fact, uh, let me, uh, I, I put in here Isaiah 64, so let, let me just click on this. But now, O Lord, Thou art our Father. This is Isaiah. We are the clay, and Thou art potter. And we all are the work of Thy hand. 
God is the potter, we are the clay. Out of the dust I formed thee. And, and, and with water and the Spirit, we are then created together. So, so take, take that image. Now, whether they all got this later, I don't, I don't know. But get this image. He is the potter. He's formed us of the dust of the earth, and we are the clay. He's forming us. This is a man who's been blind how long? His whole life. That means that he was formed in the womb... And he comes forth out of the womb, not yet done. You get it? Yeah. So what does the potter do with the clay? Finishes. He takes the element of that was not done with this man and finishes his clay work. And he's going to put the clay in there and like, like there's a little spot left on the pot. And he goes, oh, it's not complete yet. It's not whole. Let me take a little more clay, put that on there. Ah, now it's done. Isn't that great? Okay, quickly, our application. What's he saying to us? He's not finished with us he's yet. He's not finished with us yet. Makes <laughs> <laughs> me think of that little girl. There's a little girl that says, don't, I don't know, don't criticize me or something. God isn't finished. I'm not perfect, but God isn't finished with me yet. Yeah, he's still doing it with me. Yeah. Yes. We're going to talk a little, and when we talk in, in chapter 10, we're going to talk about how, how he is proactive and he's doing things to us, for us. He's not done with us. That's why the symbolism in here I think is just wonderful. The potter is still working with us and now with him. Isn't that awesome? Okay. Um, Can I throw one more in here that, that we may not recognize, but I think they recognize? One of the things that uh, we find in, uh, the, in Joseph Smith's Revealed Scriptures is when we got the revelation on the book of Moses, there was a lot, the book of Moses was not just a pure revelation, it was a restoration of things that have been written before and we hadn't had access to those records forever. So look at, so if I go to Moses 6, 35, look at the discussion he's going to have with Enoch. Verse 34, my spirit is upon you, therefore all thy words, this is when, when Enoch is going, I'm but a lad, everybody hates me, you know, I'm not very good. The mountains will flee and the rivers will turn their course and thou shalt abide in me. I and you, therefore, Enoch, walk with me. And I've always loved this phrase. Just walk with me, please. Now, Enoch still isn't sure. So look at what the Lord does for Enoch to help him see what his calling and role is going to be. Verse 35, And the Lord spake unto Enoch and said unto him, Do an amazing thing. Anoint thine eyes with clay and wash them, and thou shalt see. And he did so. If you are rabbinic in nature, and that's your calling, and you look to the books, and you have before you the book of Enoch. There it is. 
Because there's the story of Enoch being overwhelmed by everything, feeling less than, anointing his eyes with clay, and then the potter is now done, and now he can see. So, do you see all the layers to this? Uh, no, you don't. I don't either. Um, but, but you just get this sense. All these things are kind of coming together. It's on the Sabbath day. He's kind of pushing the Sabbath laws. Number two, this is the potter completing his work on this man. Number three, he's reaching back into antiquity and saying, this is what I've done by history. Jehovah has anointed people's eyes with clay, and then they're able to see. It's also a testament of who he is. Okay? All these things coming together. Isn't that great? It's also a lesson to his apostles. Yes. Now, the rabbis aren't going to see this, are they? Think the disciples get this? Oh, yeah, good chance. Think they have some great teaching opportunities as now they're walking between towns? Jesus, so, so tell me about the clay thing. What, why the clay? Why didn't you just... Okay? And he's going to tell him. Now, go wash in the pool of uh, Salon, which interpretation means sent. He's going to have him sent. He's going to have to go. Why would he do this? Again, can't he just heal him on the spot? Yes. Why is he going to have him do this? Exercise faith. And? Another miracle. That, that there's something happening here. And, and here's the pattern. This reminds me of an awful lot of Naaman. I expected the miracle would be that you'd clap your hands on my head and I'd be cured of the leprosy. But you're going to have to go into the silly, dirty water and be washed. And how many times? Seven. Seven. And we've asked before, we talked about this. Which, which dip cleaned him? Seven. The seventh. He's going to have to do it all. Now, the lesson is to us. We have to be willing to dip the we have to be. We have to be willing to do our part. Think about all of the great miracles that, that we keep running into, and there is always an our part attached to it. We have to carry on and do our... How about the woman with the issue of blood? What she needed to do? Reach up. What about uh, Peter's ability to walk on water? He had to step out. Get out. <laughs> what about what about the Gentile woman with the with her child, and she's begging for the Savior to to do this? She had to be persistent. She had to be persistent. She has to keep asking. She's got to hang in there. Okay. Over and over and over, we get these little performances on our part. He's going to feed the 5,000. What did they have to do? Go get the lunch. Bring what they had. And be there and bring with what they've got. Absolutely. That. And so he's always asking us to bring what little bit you've got. Bishop, we're going to call you as a bishop. What are you supposed to? Well, that's a big job. What does he want you to do? What, and you look at your resources and you go, yeah, but it's me. Uh, and and again he says, okay, bring the little bit you got, and we're ready to go. He's always saying, he always saying yes, 
uh, I want you to, I'm going to bless you. There's going to be a miracle here, but I still need you to bring whatever little bit you've got. You're going to go, yeah, but it's pretty puny. It's like Enoch, you know, or, or uh, uh, the brother Jared. Got rocks. I just got rocks. It ain't much. Okay, we'll bring the rocks. And I can make that magnificent. This is one of those moments. Okay, I've, I've anointed you. I've done everything I can, but I need you to do something. And that is, I need you to take a walk to go wash yourself. Now, what, have, what would have happened if he hadn't? Nothing. Nothing. He'd say blind. You know, well, wait a minute. I've been by this pool of Shiloh, you know, a lot. I'm here. He probably had bathed in this a lot. Probably a pretty dirty thing. So we're going to take the dirty water and dirt and spittle and that's going to there's no cornea transplant areas anyhow here and suddenly all of this thing that makes no sense whatsoever it works it seems like that happens in the gospel like certain things don't make sense like that we're washed clean through the blood of the lamb hey blood does now that doesn't make, make any sense blood does doesn't it? make you clean it stains your clothes I'm going to wash my clothes in blood, and they're going to be washed clean. That may, yeah, that. You have to know the atonement. Yes, yeah. and know the symbolism behind this. And that you, your money goes further when you pay your tithing than when you. Yeah, the tithing thing doesn't make doesn't any sense at all either, does it? <laughs> it does when you do it. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't make sense to the common no, man's way of thinking. No. Okay. So, so now we get this wonderful little interchange, and we're really blessed with the fact that uh, John, in the way that he does this, it's funny. He, John tells, if you take the first three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we get a lot of stuff. With John, we get fewer stories in greater detail. Because again, as we talked before, what was John's intent? To persuade people. To show forth the, the testimonies as born by the miracles, right? He's trying to teach lessons. And he's going to give us enough detail to walk it through. Now, how would we know that... So now we're going to get this wonderful interchange, okay? This man's going to walk off. His neighbors, therefore, uh, said, wait a minute, is this he? he yeah, it looks like him. No, it's him. And he says, no, it's me. He says, okay, how were your eyes open? Well, Jesus came, he made clay, and he said, wash, I received sight. It's pretty straightforward. So what are you going to do now? Well, <laughs> let, let's run him up to the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees him that was blind. It was Sabbath day. Uh, so they're going to they're gonna now grill him. Which, by the way, if I remember right, as, as part of the... Uh, the... Uh, the last, when they're prosecuting the Savior, these kind of little trial things aren't supposed to take place on the Sabbath day either, if I remember my Jewish history. But they're going to do it right now. Okay. Why? Because they're just anxiously looking for opportunities. They just got done with the adulterous woman. They're just beside themselves trying to figure out how to snag this guy. They brought to the Pharisees him that afore was blind. It was the Sabbath day. Uh, and the Pharisees said, how did you do this? He proclaimed my eyes, I washed and do see. It's really simple. I told them, I'm going to tell you. That's the only elements. There's nothing more here. 
Yes, but this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. How can a man that's a sinner do such miracles? Okay, let me hop over for a second to uh, a little something from St. Hugh Nibley. And, and uh, Hugh Nibley wrote a parable. This is his parable. A young man once claimed he'd found a large diamond in a field as he was plowing. He put the stone on display to the public free of charge, and everyone took sides. A psychologist showed by citing some famous case studies that the young man was suffering from a well-known form of delusion. A historian showed that, that other men have also claimed to have found diamonds in the field and been deceived. You see where we're going so far yet? A geologist proved that there were no diamonds in the area, only quartz. The young man had been fooled by a quartz. An English professor showed that the young man, in describing his stone, used the very same language that others had used in describing uncut diamonds. He was, therefore, simply speaking in the common language of the time. Now, who's he referring to? Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon. A sociologist showed that only three out of 177 florist assistants in, in, major, in four major cities believed that the stone was genuine. I misspelled four. So three out of 177 florist assistants in four major cities believed the stone was genuine. No, they don't know. That's the point. Finally, an indigent jeweler pointed out that since the stone was still available for examination, the answer to the question of whether it was a diamond or not had absolutely nothing to do with who found it, whether the finder was honest or sane, or who believed him, or whether he, he would know a diamond from a brick, or whether diamonds had ever been found in fields, or whether people had ever been fooled by quartz or glass. but was to be answered simply and solely by putting the stone to certain well-known tests for diamonds. When people are attacking the, the Book of Mormon, where is the easiest place for them to go to attack? Joseph Smith. What is the last place they want to go to attack the Book of Mormon? The book itself. Exactly. That's why it is that uh, we, we mentioned before that when the Book of Mormon came out, the New York Times said there's not a most more fraudulent book that's ever been perpetrated on the earth than the Book of Mormon. And then, and then by the way, it's not even worth our time to even purchase one. We haven't even seen it. <laughs> but it's fraudulent. Why? Because it exists. It cracked open the Book of Canaan. And again, the Book of Mormon is pretty hard to explain away. But what is easy to explain away? Joseph Smith. So we can go after every flaw and thing that he ever did or what his character was because he was kind of human. Okay? Now, 
Is that part of what's happening here? Therefore, some of the Pharisees, this man, Jesus, is not of God. Why? He cannot keep it the Sabbath day. What are they overlooking? What is, what's their blindness to? There was a miracle. This man was blind from birth and now he sees. That doesn't count. Those that are blind will continue to choose that they're blind. So I've mentioned before C.S. Lewis's wonderful idea that hell is locked from the inside. People keep themselves in hell on purpose. That when that opportunity comes to open the door and walk out, the Savior says, I'm standing at the door, knocking. Come on out. Well, no, I'm busy. I'm locked on my ideas, my view of things. I don't want to look beyond this. And these Pharisees were really focused on the fact that, uh, well, this man's a sinner. Uh, there was a division, and some said, well, wait, how did he open your eyes? Well, he says, well, I think he's a prophet. Well, they did not believe him. So we need more. We need more uh, evidence. So who are they going to go get? Parents. Oh yeah, that's right. Because the parents might be the sinners, right? Yeah. What's ironic to me is that I mean they had empirical data. They were able to bring these parents and people around him who were blind. The ironic part is they're the ones who are blind. Yes, isn't that great? The blind and the Savior's going to point that out in just a second. Who's the real blind person here? Where does the blindness really exist? In those that choose to not see because they're so locked into their way of seeing what they don't want to see. And he's going to ding them a couple of times. Now, by, as hard as it is to believe, in just a second he's going to ding them worse. Far worse. He is on a roll here. He really is. And, and, and in a second, we're going to be about three months away, about 90 days away from his death. And he's going to deem harder. Okay? So, drag the parents in. Parents, okay, uh, how come he sees? I don't know. Ask him. <laughs> oh, uh, we're not going there. Sorry. Why? Look at verse 22. These words spake in the parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already. They were now making some moves. This is their pushback. And how are they pushing back? What's the number one penalty that you could give to a Jew at that time in Jerusalem? Pull their temple recommend. Literally. Exactly. Kick them out of the synagogue. And that's what they were now doing. We'll try and stamp this thing out by kicking you out. We don't want to hear you. It's like the Jews are going, la, 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 la. we want to stay blind. Okay. So how do we do it? I don't know. Ask him. He's of age. Uh, and then, and then in twenty-seven, here is the preaching possibility that here is this man, and he's been blind from birth. And sometimes when we look at somebody with disabilities, we actually have a natural tendency, especially with physical disabilities, to discount their intellectual prowess. Somebody with cerebral palsy looks like they might be developmentally disabled. They ain't. They got pure functioning brain. And listen to this man and his logic. Blind from birth, but he listens really well. 
They said, okay, so what did he do to you? Verse 26, how open the eyes. This is like the fourth time this has been asked. And he's going to say, I told you already. And ye did not hear. Wherefore, do you want to hear it again? Why? Are you trying to become his disciples? Is that why you want, you're really asking to ask? Or you're, because you really want to know? Or you're asking because you're really looking for some other way out of this? And they reviled him. Thou art his disciples. We are Moses' disciples. Uh, we don't know about this guy. And he says, and ultimately this man's going to say, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. And if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. You know, he was pretty brazen to speak to the Very brazen. Like that. Very brazen. Yeah. Now, by the way, at this point, how much interaction has he had with the Savior? You know, he did his eye, and he couldn't even spot him in a crowd. He hasn't heard him preach. He's just like, I don't know who this guy, who, who healed you. He says it's Jesus. What do we know about Jesus? Nothing. All I know is that he healed me. I see. Okay. Okay. Um... Now, thou was altogether born in sins, and thou teachest us, and they cast him out of the synagogue. Now, here's the part that I think that we need to keep in mind with these miracles. What did the Savior come into the world to do? To draw men unto him. Listen very carefully. Did he come into the world to heal the blind and heal lepers? No, that was not his primary purpose. What was his primary purpose? To draw men unto him. It's the long view. I'm here to bring you to me. So that in the eternities you can have life and more abundantly. It was also put into the Mosaic law. It was. And we were still living it and stuck in it. Right, and they weren't being able to get past. But the, but the goal here was to bring men into exaltation. Okay. Now, he has just healed this man of the blindness. He finished the clay work. What's missing? Still hasn't drawn him to it. He still hasn't drawn him to the Savior, has he? This is again, let's go back to the woman, and I think these are two parallel stories. Go back to the woman with the issue of blood. She's going to reach up and touch the hem of his garment. Is she now healed of the issue of blood? Yes. Is the Savior done with her? No. No. Because the most important piece has not yet been done. And that is to draw her unto Him. Woman, thy faith hath made thee whole. Your faith in me. And it's the final connection. That's the piece that's critical here. The woman with the adultery that was grabbed in adultery is an object lesson that we talked about last week. Okay, now the accusers have left. She's not going to be stoned. Is he done with her? No. no. The miracle has occurred, but he's not done, has he? He's not done until... Here comes the final piece. Draw her unto him. Go thy way. Sin no more. Start your repentance process. But you're clean as you walk away from her. It seems like uh, most of his miracles are preceded by him doing something kind or merciful. I mean, there's two parts to every miracle, but there's the first part... Open the door. ...is doing something to help them. 
Yeah, that taking care of their immediate need. Otherwise, they're not going to listen to him in the first place, right? I think that was one of the reasons for the miracle. It's a little bit foolish for us to take somebody who is uh, sitting on a street corner and starving and say, let me teach you about Alma. Oh, you're rejecting the Book of Mormon. I can't believe it's Alma. Why wouldn't you reject? You know, let's read the Book of Mormon together. And they're thinking, I'm starving. So those needs have to be taken. And that becomes then the precursor. And that's why I think he did all of those things. Because now they're ready. Now they're going to listen. If I remember right, even with uh, uh, Peter, when he called Peter and his uh, associates to, uh, to come and follow him and be apostles, didn't he proceed that with a miracle of a boat full of fish that yeah. they were going to be able to sell and take care of their family? Yeah, he'll take care of the immediate needs. As a goal towards where we're really going. And it's, it's about to happen with this man. So he's done. He was blind. Now he sees. Is the Savior done? No. What he's going to do, he's going to track him down. Because he still doesn't know who the Savior is. He didn't see him. Apparently, he, he puts the place fiddle on him and then leaves. Knowing all this interrogation is going to come. Stuff like that. The Savior just kind of just steps back a little bit. So now he's now been cast out of the synagogue. And again, we have a wonderful little parallel with this in the Book of Mormon, right? With the Ramiantan. Who was it that was willing to turn and listen to Alma? The humble. Those that had been cast out of the synagogue. Now he's ready to listen. And the Savior's going to track him down. And what is he going to say? Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said... He sat in front of him. Who is he, Lord? I remember I was blind, you know, when that man came by here. Who is he? Why? That I might believe on him. I felt it. I know what's happened. I believe in him. I need to find him. The, mir- the miracle has occurred. The testament of this man. And Jesus says, Thou hast both seen him and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, I believe. Now, I just think that's magnificent. Yeah. Like Ella Ballard said, you had to follow up afterwards. There is the follow up, isn't it? And it's in the follow up piece that I think, and if you look at all these miracles, it's in the follow up of the final piece, the connection to draw him unto us comes. Okay? Um, I would guess, Bishop, that when you were providing uh, welfare services for uh, Bishop Moon was recently released, uh, Bishop. When as a, as a bishop, you provide a lot of welfare needs that took care of immediate needs, but you weren't done. Were you? Short run. That's the short run stuff. So that take care of the long term. So I can take care of the real stuff, the real living water, the real living bread, all of those things. But I can't do that if you're hungry or if you don't have a place to live. Brigham Young said, you've got to take care of feeding him first, then you can worry about the soul. Then you go from there. Ammon gained the confidence of uh, his captors. Then he had a captive audience to teach them. Yeah. But then why would the Lord have, like in our Sunday school lesson yesterday, made the Israelites spend three days in the desert without water? Yeah. And then be upset that they were murmuring. (laughs) 
It's a good question, isn't it? Hold on to that for a second. I can immediately answer it. Put it against what we're about to talk about here. Okay? All right. Now. And then, now, and by the way, the Savior is now going to do two big deans on these guys that were blind. Here comes the first one. Uh, and the Pharisees are going to say, uh, are we blind also? Oh, I mean, if you're, if, you're like, if, you're, if you're like a baseball player and you're standing at the plate and here comes a big fat one over the plate, this is your chance to drive it into the middle of next week. It's a little bit like uh, with uh, Abinadi and the priests of Noah and they start throwing Isaiah at it. And Abinadi said, tell me that scripture again. Want to throw that to me? Okay, bring it. It's a big one. I can drive that thing. And here comes the question. Are we blind also? <clears throat> okay. You're about, to, you're about to get me started here. Set themselves oh, this is such a huge setup and I just love it. Uh, okay, are we blind also? Now, it's important that you see this question. Remember, Joseph Smith said, if you want to understand a parable, you have to first read the question that prompted it. Here's the question that prompts John 10. Because we have this tendency to then say, we look at the chapter headings in the scriptures, uh, and, and we say this is like separate sermons. That was just carved up later. Take out the chapter heading on John 10, and this is one flowing discussion coming from John over kind of two separate stories. This is the question that leads into everything that we're about to look at in John 10. But this is the question that prompts it. Are we blind also? <clears throat> well, yeah. You, if you were blind, if you were really blind, you'd have no sin. But you're not as blind as, you, as you're portraying that you are. Now, how blind are you? Well, here we go. That's kind of scary. Oh, yes, it is, it is. And it was especially true for these guys. Keep in mind, who is he talking to? The Pharisees. The, the Jews, capital J. The, the administrative heads of this. Now, let's remind ourselves. Traditionally, throughout Israelite history, who is it that is going to be running the, uh, the temple and the synagogues? The Levites, that's their job. Who is the Sanhedrin at this moment? Where'd this come from? No, nothing in the Old Testament about form of Sanhedrin. Where's the Sanhedrin come from? Government-wise, it's ruling all over this. Who set this up? Herod the Great and the Greeks. Oh, really? Yes. So the Pharisees? The Pharisees, and it had developed over time during the rabbinical period after they had been in control. The, the long history here, the Herodians, and they're kind of in charge. And by the time that the Greeks have controlled this, and then they, the Maccabees threw them off, and then the Romans come in, this Sanhedrin becomes a kind of a Jewish administrative council over the affairs, and it's populated with Sadducees and Pharisees. There's going to be a mix, so no one group as themselves. 
We're going to have an ecumenical council. So here's the question: How do you get on the Sanhedrin? How do you get to be a how do you get to be Caiaphas or Ananias and be on the San, and be on this administrative council under the under the direction of the Roman uh, conquerors? How do you get on there? It's what? Not bloodline. That's that's why this is important. Bloodline to be legitimate. You have to be appointed by who? Yes, by the Romans. How are you going to be appointed by the Romans to the Sanhedrin? Yes, this is the old boy network. The what? This is a political appointee. This is a political appointee based probably on lobbying and money and sucking up to the Romans and everything. This is not, this is a this is a political move, pure and simple. It's like, who's going to run some of the, uh, uh, who's going to be the, generally, when a new president of the United States comes in, who becomes the ambassadors and the heads of the department? All the friends, the campaign buds, campaign contributors. That's the Sanhedrin. Can you, can you see that? Okay. So they're not protecting, so who are they protecting? Themselves. They're no longer protecting the people. So are they actually Jew, Jewish? They are Jewish. They are Sanhedrin. They are Pharisees, Sadducees. They are rabbinical in nature, but part of the... Make sure everybody follows all the rabbinic laws uh, is, is, is control. The, uh, the, the laws of the rabbis, the traditions. How far can you walk on the Sabbath day? How much wheat can you harvest? All that, that's done by them to control, and if you're going to, and, and it also produces money to them to keep them in power. Does this sound familiar? Oh, yeah. Okay. This ought to be just so clear if we're just kind of looking around and paying attention to government stuff. Okay. Now, so if you have that backdrop, now. Now, 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 now let's look at the next verse, which is the first verse of chapter 10. And now you ought to see this in a different light. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Who you? Who's the you? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the political appointees. Verily I say unto you guys, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up by some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. I told you the things get better here. This is pretty great. What did he just put that in different words? You're frauds. Yes, you are frauds. Frauds in doing what? What's the sheepfold? Jewish people. Israel, right? Specifically, uh, the believing Jews is the sheepfold. The the, uh, the the church, the Israel, okay? That is the sheepfold. Who are the sheep? The people, okay? Who are, and so he's going to say, Who hath entered not by the door into the sheepfold, but he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, by the way, let, let me just let me just reach down and connect this, because he's going to give you two 
He's, he's going to use two terms for himself to describe this, and then we'll read this, because then it all makes sense. So he's going to say, if you climbed in by some other way, you're a thief and a robber. If you got appointed to the Sanhedrin, you're a thief and a liar because you have different, you don't have the, the heart of the sheep, you don't have the best interest of the sheep at heart. Okay? Now he's going to tell us, and, if, and it's a critical area. Verse 9 says, I am the door. You must come through me to be legitimate. A legitimate shepherd over these sheep. Now, he's actually going to then call it, because I, kept, I started to lay it out. I thought, okay, let me get all the elements of this story here, and who's the sheepfold, the door, and, but he, then he, he, he messed me up. Because now look, and so he is the door, so who's the shepherd? <laughs> look, at the, look at verse 11. Who's the shepherd? He is. He's bones. Now, if we're going to be like him, we, will, we would also be shepherds, right? We must also come to the door. But in this case, he says, while I am here on this earth, in my mortal uh, ministry, I am the door, and I am also the shepherd, both. <laughs> to get to the sheep. Anybody who's getting to the sheep by climbing over the wall... Um, That's a sheepfold. Anybody who's going to climb over the walls to try and get at the sheep, except by coming through me, is a thief and a robber. Meaning you guys. And in this case, while I'm here, I am the door, I'm also the shepherd. And then he's going to really cast some dispersions on them. The thief cometh not but for to steal and kill and destroy. Remember what the question was that prompted all this? Are we blind also? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you asked for this. Okay. Uh, but, and I have come that these people... The blind, the lame, and it doesn't matter whether it's the Sabbath day or not. I've come that they might have life, meaning eternal lives, and that they might have it more abundantly. And then he's going to make a determination. Shepherds as opposed to who? Hirelings. Oh, he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, who's own the sheep are not. They are mine. The wolf coming, seeth the wolf coming, leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catches them and scattereth the sheep. Were the sheep eventually scattered? They were. The wolf came, conquering entities came in, and the hirelings fled. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and have known of mine. So, how do we know as sheep who the hireling is and who the true shepherd is? By how much they care. Part of it is we're going to know by their compassion. 
by their carrying. How else do we know? What's that? Authority. They will have authority. How will we know? It's what? We recognize it. How? What are we looking for? How do we determine the hiring of the shepherd? <coughs> by their fruits. Mm-hmm. By the Spirit. By, a lot of by the Spirit. And the Spirit tells us this is true. This is a connection. Let me go back to the blind man. Why did this blind man then say, okay, this man said, I'm not a sinner, but he, and he drank, rubbed some clay spittle in my eyes, and then I'm going to go do something that at the very, that might work, but the other possibility is it might get me thrown out of the Sanhedrin. I'm washing on the Sabbath day, and I'm washing off spittle and clay. Why would he do that? Why would he risk all that? What he felt. What he felt. How do we know who the hireling is and who the shepherds are? By the still small voice that whispers to us. That's why I'm always fascinated when I work with those that are struggling with the church and they they look at the at the kid that found the diamond without looking at the diamond and now they're all upset. But the key is they're all upset. It's stirring them up. And I just want to say, but listen. Be still. Listen to what he's saying to you and you'll know the true shepherds from the Bible. Why would so many people put time and energy and stuff on the internet and other places and throw that stuff out there? Well, it's not safe to read For instance, those that have made a career out of attacking the church and they go around to a lot of other churches with a handful of knowledge, whether they are whether they really believe it or if they just kind of have a good gig, either one. And you have both. Some that really sincerely believe they're trying to rescue us as Mormons for Christ. The problem is, is that ultimately in that circuit and they're going around doing that, part of the problem is they become hirelings. They become hirelings because that becomes their career. If they were accepted the church is true, they lose they lose their gig. Okay. So he's gonna say, and then and then we get this. And he's got, a, he's got a, a couple of other nice things in here. Uh, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, speaking specifically of Nephites and Lamanites. No man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. Keep in mind, who is he talking to? The Sanhedrin, the Jews' capital J. You do not have the power to take my life from me. I will lay it down myself. Even though I can read in your heart. I remember Joseph Smith saying this. You know, that He read the hearts of some of those and he said, you have murder in your heart. You seek after my blood and nothing but my blood will satisfy you. That's one of the reasons why he decided to leave Nauvoo four days before going to Carthage. He says they have blood in their heart Nothing but my blood will satisfy. 
saying you're saying the same thing. You want my death. You want me out of the way. I'm a threat to your power. But you don't have the power to do it. This shepherd can lay down his life. Yeah. They're bound by all of the pride and the worldly acclaim and um, yeah, I know. And we have to, and we fight that every day. Okay, we have about uh, five minutes or so. Um, now, I want I want to jump ahead to verse twenty-two. How do we know where the original when they were putting these documents together? Just a reminder: How do we know where the original paragraphs were the, the, the different documents? you've never seen it before. Uh, verse 22, you see the little, the little backwards P thing? That's the original paragraph. That's the original document. That's why you can look at the top of chapter 10. There's no original paragraph there. It's a flowing from 9 on to 10. This is where this stops. The King James uh, compilers as they're putting this together, they're trying to put it together by subject matter. I'm probably following John's, but still, this is where some of the original paragraphs came from. That's why we're, and this is all part of one chapter 10, but we're going to get one last thing, and there's an additional thing that's been put in here. That's why we just talked about the fact that all of what we just discussed, the, the, uh, the adulterous woman, uh, the, the healing of the blind man, uh, the discussion on the sheep, all of that is going to occur at the Feast of Tabernacles. That's in October. That's six months out. Now, look at this one. Uh, and it was, verse 22, And it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of the Dedication, and it was winter. What, are the, what is the Feast of Dedication? It's remembering when the Second Temple was... Uh, was captured back from the Greeks. And you remember that they get that back and they're under siege and, they're, and, they, and the Maccabees are finally able to defeat them and the temple is dark and they only have a little bit of oil left and they're going to put it, the last one into the, into the uh, menorah in the temple and it burns for eight days. And this is now called Hanukkah. But it was originally the Feast of the Dedication and they were grateful that the Greeks had been destroyed or driven out and now they were going to be able to rededicate the temple. Fascinating to me that ultimately for modern day Jews, the December holiday is not so much the rededication of the temple as much as it is celebrating Hanukkah and trying to make Christmas like with the giving of gifts and dreidels. Everybody play dreidels? Spin dreidels for little gold coins and there's all that, that fun kind of stuff. So it's kind of holiday-ish like. Not so much the rededication of the temple. 
But now we've gone into December. His death will come in the first week of April. So about 90 days out. Excuse me, is that, that the Feast of Dedication, is that where 22? Uh-huh, that's in 22. But before that? was. That's all three months prior to that in October. Okay. Okay? That's why I say we suddenly jumped three months ahead. Uh, it was Jerusalem, the Feast of the Dedication. It was winter. Jesus walks into the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews round about him and said, And after three months, they're still blind. After all the discussion of, of the, the blind man and sheep and the sheepfold and all this stuff, and you know, is he still sitting on the plate? Oh, Jesus is here. Let's go ask him. Okay. Um, 24. How long dost thou make us doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. I, I, I remember, I remember a, a, a wonderful uh, BYU professor talking about those that attack the church. He says, with no ill, uh, ill respect to these people, they are like shooting zombies. You shoot down theories about Joseph Smith's character and the origins of the Book of Mormon, the Book of Abraham, and you shoot them down clearly, and then they just rise up out of the ground and keep coming at you again. That, that's what reminds me of this one here. Um, could you just tell us plainly? Uh, we're still not sure. So, are you really? Are you saying to the Christ? Tell us. Tell us much more clearly than you have. Well, they blind, but they're pretty yeah. tough. Okay. Well, hirelings. I told you, and ye believed it not. The works I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe it not, because you are not as my sheep. As I said unto you three months ago, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Okay? Alright, so, three months out. Let's get even more clear. My Father, verse 29, gave them me as greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I am the Christ. In an environment where, remember the Shema that they repeat every week, uh, Deuteronomy 11, uh, our God is the God. There's only one God. I and my Father are one. And then they responded as they have always responded. Then the Jews took up stones again, again, to stone him. And then you just, his, his response to them is one for the ages. So, so he meant, they, I and my father are what? Whoa, where's the rock? And they all pick up the rock, and they're all ready to throw. And he says, okay, just so I know. Many good works have I showed unto you from my Father. For which of those works are you going to stone me? Are we stoning me because of the blind man? Are we stoning me because of the lepers? I just, let's just clarify here. Which, which one of those you're stoning me for? Just so we know. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You know, he's, he's standing up for himself. Yes. And it's, it's a good example of how, you know, people may be attacking this, but we need to stand up. 
We do need to, and, and that's kind of where I wanted to finish. Thank you. That's right Sorry. where I wanted to go. Because th- this is the moment sometimes when people will say to us, I think, are you a Mormon? And they're all set. And if you're going to go, well, yeah, but it's no really big deal. We're kind of like you. It's not Yes, sir. Mormon dying in the blue through and through, quote Joseph F. Smith. Yes, sir. Even when they're ready to stone, do we stand tall? Because there are always going to be those that stand with stones ready to stone. If we're going to stand for what is right. Think about how often the world is ready to stone us for standing on principles. Because we're mean and we're hate mongers and we're not being fair. We're not being nice. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the who's the MCO people? Who's on the okay? Uh, talking to Bob Richards, <laughs> and he's you know, and when when you start uh, practicing around the corner from our house at the Lutheran Church, uh, there were those in that congregation that were excited to see something of this quality coming in, and those when they figured out it was predominantly Mormon were kind of sheepish about that. We're not sure we want to be. Having the Mormons meeting in our sanctuary every Thursday night. This is not good. Um, but after listening to you sing and watching your behavior, uh, these say, and, and apparently there are a couple of them specifically that Bob was telling me about, that have said, Yeah, they're with us. <laughs> they practice at our church. Yeah, this is, especially after the first concert, they just went, Oh, yeah, yeah, they're, we're with them. It's our works. It's our fruits. It's our behaviors. At the end of the day, which one are you going to stone us? Are you going to stone us because we want our families uh, to be upright citizens? Are you going to stone us because we want to keep the commandments? Are you going to stone us because we we preach Christ crucified? Let's just be really clear which one we're being stoned by. Just so that you know. I don't think we again. We have nothing to, to be ashamed of. We've been human. The church had its ups and downs, but at the end of the day, which one of our good works, as we're out there doing things on the just serve kind of thing, which one of the works are you going to stone us We're never going to remove that from those that choose to remain blind. But those that have eyes to see will see, and his sheep will end up falling. I bear you my testimony that uh, the Savior is the great exemplar about how to do this in the midst of stones and all of those kind of things. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name.
Okay, let's see. Next week, we'll have to see what we've got. But I do want, the one thing I didn't get to today that goes in conjunction with 10 is uh, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Study that for next week. I want to start with the 23rd Psalm because it, there's some beautiful pieces in there that dovetail what we just talked about. See you next week. Oh, you didn't answer my question about the Israelites. No, we didn't get to that. Um, there, there was a text of I do believe that they, I don't think the Lord intended them to necessarily be. One thing if you're just fasting and sitting at home and studying, but if you're walking through the desert, you don't have Right. And I think had they had a righteous heart, they would have gone on a moment. Well, I didn't see how they could even live.